Okay. Have a seat. Have a seat. <laughs> come on. Come on. Um, no, I love, um, I'm honored uh, to have this opportunity to just get to share um, really what the Lord's been teaching me through this parable. And um, I love that we're going through parables because if it was good enough for Jesus, it should probably be good enough for us. Um, and so today we're going to be in Luke chapter 11. Um, going over, yeah, a parable, story. So Jesus here is talking with his disciples, and I think I love when I'm reading scripture and studying scripture to imagine myself there in present time as if I'm sitting there listening to Jesus. I mean, maybe we'd be standing, but he was talking to his disciples, um, but also anyone else who was around. And so I think we count at those as those anyone else who was around. So we're in Luke chapter 11, verses five through eight. So then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I like stories. I think most of us enjoy stories. And it's no surprise that Jesus knew what we would enjoy and what we would need. Um, but he tells these parables as examples um, of what to do. So let's go through verse by verse. So I don't know about you, but I like to go to bed far before midnight. <laughs> um, far before midnight. So I'm imagining if I'm this first person, um, or this second person in verse 7, and the one inside, so somebody comes and knocks on your door at midnight. So I don't have children, um, and I like to go to bed before midnight, but imagine <laughs> that somebody comes and knocks on your door at midnight, so persistent that you um, are awakened and have to go and see what's the matter. Because um, in the time in which the disciples were listening, homes were pretty small. And so um, a little context for us is that everyone was kind of in the same area. So if this man were to get up and go answer the door, everyone in the house would wake up. Um, so that doesn't seem like the greatest thing. And I think um, verse 8 is kind of the moral of the story, if you will. So Jesus presents two characters, and then he brings us the moral of the story. Now, on my first reading, I was like, man, that person who didn't get up doesn't sound like that great of a person. Because the first guy, he had a friend, he wanted to be hospitable, he wanted to provide for this friend. I was driving back from Steamboat, Colorado last night, and it took a while <laughs> on the roads for weather and traffic. And I was thinking, imagine if I were to have gotten home really, really late, or what if I had gotten stranded, and as I'm driving, I see homes on the side of the road where it's dark and there's like one light in the middle of the drive, and I was like, wow, I wonder if that person, if I got stranded in my car, walked up to their front door and knocked on their door, would they answer? 
So it's like, okay, so this first person is trying to be hospitable, and he goes to his neighbor, to his friend next door, even though it's midnight, it's like, hey, I have a need, and I want help providing for this need. But the, the second person, the response is like, eh, don't bother me. It even says in the translation in the NIV, don't bother me. And so I'm like, man, the second person, why don't they just say, yeah, I'll serve you? Because we know Christians are supposed to serve and love and all that good stuff. Um, But if we unpack verse 8 a little bit um, and continue reading in the passage, actually, we find out that the second friend is Jesus is comparing himself to the second friend. And so I think we have to unpack that a little bit. Um, I don't think Jesus is saying that we should neglect friendship, that we should just give to anyone or not give to anyone or, or not care about investing in people. And I also don't think he's saying wait to give until you're worn down <laughs> and someone knocks incessantly and wakes you all the way up. I don't think that he's trying to communicate that. So let's continue reading in verse 9. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And so Jesus is instructing his disciples that we should be persistent. But I think if we really Um, get to the heart of the matter. What, What are we supposed to learn instead of just practices? What's the thing to do or not to do? I think Jesus's heart is that we need to know that our relationship with him is not a transaction, is that a lot of us relationships or um situations in our lives we view as transactions. We view that there might be a limit to what God has to provide. So we might have a need, like this friend needed bread, but instead of friendship and if persistence is what unlocks the door, then it can't be about what we've gotten in return. So I want to give us a little example to walk through this. So my mom, an incredibly generous, um, sweet, kind person. Uh, Growing up, she would give gifts for birthdays. Not that strange, right? Um, But especially if they were younger kids, so I remember having cousins, she would give them a gift for their birthday. But their sibling, brother or sister, she would also give a gift. I was like, that's a little weird. It's not their birthday. But the heart there is that my mom doesn't want them to feel left out. She doesn't want the person who's not receiving the gift, the kid, to feel like they're left out. And so the idea is that children can't quite understand the concept that someone giving a gift isn't a threat to them getting a gift on their birthday. All they know is, hey, She has, and I don't, and that doesn't seem very fair. And so we can say that about kids, right? But is it really that different for us as adults? Don't we desire 
fairness, equality, equal blessing. How many times have we maybe seen someone receive a promotion above us when we thought we were qualified? How many times has someone come out on the right side of things for doing the wrong thing? How many times do we get up in arms when people celebrate Christmas before Thanksgiving is over? <laughs> no, but in all reality, I think the world in which we live in is shaped by transactions. And I think even in friendship and relationships, we experience that too. Hey, I'm gonna serve this friend because maybe one day they'll be able to get me back. Maybe I'm going to do this because sometime down the road when I need it, you'll show up. But Jesus throws this idea in our face. He doesn't care. His love and his relationship towards us is not a transaction. It's not anything equal measure. It's not anything fair. His character doesn't care about fairness. And he demonstrates that from the very beginning. Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8. He, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus had all right and all ability to stay fully God, but he desired that while we were yet sinners, to exchange his life for ours. And that is grossly unfair. There's no way that we could ever measure up there's no way that we could ever give in the way that he gave for us. So why is fairness and balance such a hard thing for us to remember or for us to pursue? Why, why do we feel like it has to weigh out, it has to measure equal? He operates from a completely different worldview. So what does that mean for us today? What does that look like? That is true about God's character. He is so generous towards us in a way that he is kind that it will never equal out. So what does that mean for us today? What does that look like? How does that idea about who God is affect our day to day? And I think we can use a little context before our passage even to get there. What does this mean for us? What does it look like? How do we take what was said in that time and apply it to us today? So before this, before this passage, before verse 5, Jesus is with his disciples and they ask him, Jesus, how should we pray? In verse 1, Jesus, will you show us how to pray? And he gives the famous Lord's Prayer an example of how to pray. It's not the only way, but it's an example. The disciples were saying, hey, I see that you're doing this. You are setting an example. What does that mean for us today? 
And so I think this passage and what Jesus is describing is so much about prayer in our lives. I think this is why prayer is so important to us. The very thing we believe to be true about prayer is the greatest reflection of what we believe to be true about the Lord. The very thing, what we believe to be true about prayer is the greatest reflection of what we believe to be true about the Lord. So what is that? Do we view prayer as a a wish list? God, I would really love if this happened. Or this is what I want. Do we view prayer as a backup plan for when our best attempts and our own effort have failed to solve the conflicts or the circumstances in our life? Both of those are true about me. (laughs) Or do we view prayer as a conversation with a Lord that's not just distant and sovereign, or as a conversation with a friend who is generous and gentle and cares for us? Because I think that's also true in my life. Prayer prayer is a challenging thing, but do we even think about prayer as something that there has to be balance and fairness? Lord, I'll pray because I know that you can until you give it to me. Or, God, you didn't answer that prayer, so I'm done. I think we have to figure out What is Jesus trying to teach us about himself? When I first started walking with Jesus, it was like a new language. (laughs) There was so much to learn, and I am a big nerd, a self-proclaimed nerd. I love to learn. Um, And so I was like, okay, I just have to figure out everything. (laughs) I have to learn, and I have to know the answer to everything, because I got a lot of questions, and I need to know the answer to everything. Well, I haven't yet gotten there yet. (laughs) If you have, great. Maybe you can help me. Or maybe you can take the mic next week. Um, But I remember being so overwhelmed by the sheer amount of things to learn and the complexity of God's character. Um, And I think what I viewed in my head about who God was is this guy in the clouds who is kind of like a puppeteer. He's got everything. He can make weather happen. He knows everything. He hears all prayers. Like, just this massive being that I couldn't even comprehend, but who makes everything happen. And somebody far off. Um, But in this parable, um, we get a different picture In verse 9, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Now this picture of a door is so good. It's a a different image about who Jesus is. Not distant and far off, but just separated by one piece of wood. That's a very different picture about who Jesus is. There's a nearness and a proximity and a close aspect 
to who Jesus is. And I think if we believe that that's true, it will change the way that we pray. Because Jesus here commands us to do some actions. To ask, to seek, and to knock. And none of those are big, massive things, right? We ask a million questions a day. We open or knock on doors multiple times a day. We seek every minute of every day to find phone, to find keys, to find shoes, to find, you know? We do that day in and day out. And I think if we view the Lord with that intimate image of just waiting on the other side of a door, that'll change the way that we pray. And I think we, you and me, need to be reminded that we have not because we ask not. We may have been disappointed in the past. We may have prayed and we haven't seen it yet. We may have even had serious questions. Um, When I first started walking with Jesus, I had these thoughts over and over again. What if it is all fake? I had people telling me, yeah, it's not worth trusting in. That's just a story. And so I asked, what if it is all fake? Some of us need to ask the questions that we've been waiting to ask because Jesus is bigger than all the doubt. He's he's asking us to ask and seek because he's divinely sure that his truth will stand. He doesn't shy away because even in our worst moments, he's there. So why should we? But some of us also in this room might be being called to ask again to pray again, to seek again, and to not stop until you receive. Because it's not a transaction. Yes, God is able in his infinite power and wisdom to answer a whispered prayer that's prayed once. He can. It can be a cause and effect. But sometimes it takes years but he doesn't have a short memory either. Jesus is inviting us into a relationship that is close. It's one door away, and here's the cool thing. A door doesn't disappear when you open it, right? It's continually there, and it opens out, and it opens in, and it continues to do so. We need to trust that his power and love and care and answered prayers don't run out. If you've seen God show up in one area, that's not it. That's not all you get. If you've asked and cried out and sought and he answered you, That's not it. He'll do again and again, and he'll do it again. 
We get to experience glory on glory on glory. How, but how many of us have hesitated to pray because the situations in our life seem too small? That a big, powerful, distant God has bigger things to worry about. That my trouble on a Tuesday isn't anything compared to cancer. Or, God, I've, I've prayed for you to heal my child. I'll accept that as enough and be good the rest of my life. We don't have to believe that his mercy will run out. See, all of these doubts and all of these concerns and all of these things that keep us on the other side of the door are the lies that the enemy's whispering to us on our side of the door. And I don't want to be there. I'm there often. I don't speak and tell you all of these things because I have it figured out and I never fall into these traps, but more so, I've been there. And I want to say no more. I'm not going to stay here shut on this side of the door, unwilling to ask, seek, um, or knock because I've already seen it happen or because I think it's too small, I'm gonna say those doubts and those fears and that worry of disappointment, I'm not gonna be trapped by that anymore, but I'm gonna open and I'm gonna ask and I'm gonna ask again and I'm not gonna be worried that I've outstayed my welcome, that I've asked too many times and I think that's what the Lord wants us to know about his character today. That we don't have to think it's an exchange. That I, you've given me, so now I have to give back to you because anything we give back, I even work in full-time ministry. Anything I do with the rest of my life will never even remotely match up to what Jesus has done for me. And it would have been enough for just me, and it is just enough for just you. But are we stuck in that? Are we just floating along saying, yes, Jesus, I agree with what you've done. I agree with what you say to be true. Or are we willing to step in and say, I want to see more. That I want to ask. I want to see big things. Are we afraid to pray big because we don't want to be disappointed? I don't want that to be our identity as a church because there's a world that needs changing, there's a city that needs changing, and God can do it, but he wants us to come alongside. He's gonna do it without us, but what if we get the opportunity to say, I wanna see that. I wanna see my family trust you. I wanna see life when there's death. I want to see freedom from addiction. I want to see light that cuts through the darkness. And his truth does that. His truth will cut through. It has cut through culture from the day that he walked the earth till now. And we can trust in that, and that's worth trusting in. So can we believe today that the spirit 
that's here and in us. And I think it matters both for the pre-believer, as Ryan likes to say, and for us who say that we walk with Jesus because it takes action. We can't just sit and wait, but we have to ask, seek, and knock. But it's not thinking, hey, I have to give before I can ask. May we be a people who ask boldly and to step into prayer as a way to communicate with our friend Jesus, not a distant God. So let's pray. Father, thank you um, for who you are. Your character is incredible, and we trust in who you are. I pray that in this room that doubt and fear um, have no place. And when we leave here, Lord, may we be changed May we know more of you. And may we be willing, and not just a will, willing, but excited to see the way that you're going to show up. God, we know that you're moving and changing, and, you're, and your spirit is here, and your spirit is with us. God, may we take a step of obedience to come alongside what you're already doing. May we do that with courage and boldness um, that we can trust who you are. We've got nothing to fear. So God, may we ask and seek and knock in big ways. God, we trust that you're shifting things even today. Those things that we've been waiting for and we've been waiting on, God, we will ask again because we know that you do not disappoint. You are near, you are kind, you are gentle, and you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.